Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Dunker Spot. We are part of 342 Productions. I am your host, Nikaias Duncan, and joining me as always is my co-host, Steve Jones Jr. Steve, how are you doing, sir? Yo. Ah, I see, I see. We are also joined by a guest, Fak, after talking to Satu Savali and Rebecca Allen and various other WNBA players and also college basketball coaches and also front office people and also basketball grassroots people and also mark schindler welcome back to the program sir how are you i'm good i'm a little bit tired it's been kind of a long day not in a bad way just like uh had a lot to get done today so it's been good um happy to be here excited to be here embracing my bounce you know there we go somebody <laughs> had to do it we it's a relay race you, you got the baton we love to see it uh we had some news notes to get into uh on the nba side we also had the conclusion of the FIBA world cup uh, with various results that are worth talking about. But you know what? We're just going straight W today. There's a lot to talk about on the W front. We got news. We got the playoffs coming up. Uh, we have Mark on, so we have to talk awards. And he was an official voter for the second year in a row. So want to get his ballot and kind of talk through his process and some of the things that he may have struggled with in terms of you know leaving players off or how you want to go about that. So we're going to have some fun on the W side. Very excited for the playoff picture. Uh, very excited to talk through that. Let's dig right in, start with some news. A lot of extensions over the weekend, which is pretty cool. Uh, the Storm and Jewel Lloyd agreeing to a two-year extension. The Sky and Kalia Copper agreeing to a two-year extension. The Liberty and Benajah Landy also agreeing to a two-year extension. The Minnesota Lynx recently agreed to a two-year extension with Kayla McBride. Mark, are you? I'll start with you. Are you surprised that all of these players decide to lock it in versus testing the market this summer? Um, I'm not super surprised. At- um, Benaja returning, but everyone else, I was like, it, it, I think more so was the timing for me because obviously, like, yeah, it's my second full year covering the W, but I think still like getting my hands on, on like a grasp on 
how different timing is for things in the W compared to the NBA is still like kind of jarring because I'm not used to being right before the playoffs and, oh, hey, so-and-so just signed a max contract for three Mm -hmm. years. Like it's just a very different um, rhythm. And it was cool, especially too, because we had Annie Costabile, who is, in, in, I mean, for, for my money's worth, the, the best beat reporter in the WNBA. We need more people like her. Um, reporting yesterday in the morning that the the Sky had, I have no idea what the rule is. I don't know why it works this way, but the Sky had until tip off to sign Kalia Copper to a max extension. And uh, we got the notification about five minutes before their game started that it was happening. <laughs> so it was just like it went from not being on anybody's radar to uh, just the uh, WNBA Monday happening on a Sunday. Um, so that was exciting. Uh, I think for the Kai aspect, I'm just really interested to see what this means moving forward. The Sky have a lot of cap flexibility and can get even more if they get kind of funky with what they do and what they, what, who they do and don't bring back that they can, uh, that they can think about waiving or they can renounce rights to, but essentially, I mean, you have right now it's, it's Cobb, Marina, Mabry, um, others. My brain is very scrambled today. They they have, it's just interesting because Chicago's had such a weird season. Obviously we'll talk about it with, um, with, with, with Vegas. And, and when we go into that series, but um I'm just fascinated by what they can do and, and what that means for them. But then it gets really interesting because it's like the one player who got rumored, like, well, what if Jewel Lloyd goes to goes to Chicago? She's from Indiana. And, you know, that would be she went she went to Notre Dame. That would be like going close to home for her again. And she resigns with the Seattle Storm on, mm-hmm. on a deal, which I love personally, because I just think it's not that it's wrong to go somewhere. I'm I'm always happy for for player agency, but I just think it's cool to see her kind of in the face of adversity with it. Like when I was in Dallas and Seattle came through for their second last game of the season, uh, the entire first four or five lines of questioning to Noel Quinn were, well, are you guys thinking about Jewel? <laughs> What's going on with Jewel? This could be her last game in a storm uniform. What do you, what do you think about that? And then to have her resign the you know, two days after, I, I just appreciated that. And you see that, um, Another team, like in a very different way, I think you've seen some some good things pop this year. You've gotten to see the growth of Ezzy Magmagor, and Jordan Horston has been really interesting and exciting to watch at times this year. And um, Again, we'll be very fascinating to see what happens with them. Obviously, they have the new training facility coming in um, that is going to put them pretty high up in terms of what that means for free agents who are very, who very much care about that. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, cannot go under. I'm sorry to just like rattle these all off, but I'm thinking about all of them. Uh, cannot be undersold how huge it is that Panaj Langi is returning. Like, I think to me, I've said this, and I know you guys have pretty much since day one, she is the most important player on Liberty this year. Um, I just wrote about that last week. Um, she is the reason why, right now, like, I would, I'm not saying I would pick them in the finals if they want to go play against the Aces, but based on where both teams are at right now, like, we are watching the Liberty. This entire season, we've talked about the Aces having like their historic year. And I don't want to take away from that because that's what they've done. But what the Liberty have done since that home loss to the Dallas Wings uh, just after All-Star break to this point is just kind of mind boggling. Like that is if you take just that stretch, that is the best offense in WNBA history, Um, like no holds barred. They are doing things that, quite frankly, breaks opposing defenses and doing that while their defense has been very good as well. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and bringing back Benajah is so key in that because she is the player who's really able to mold everything together, who I think had to sacrifice, not even think, I mean, she clearly had to sacrifice the most in terms of role, in terms of finding herself again as a player and, um, and recommitting to something. So her coming back is huge. Um, I'm excited to see what that means for the, them in, in the offseason again, because they have, again, like there's a lot thing can happen with the offseason. I think the one that surprised me the most was Kayla McBride returning, to be honest. Um, to me, like I was talking about this on a pod last week, like I thought Kayla going into this offseason was maybe the most that you can't even really say underrated when free agency isn't here yet. But she was the free agent. I was most excited to see where she went, because especially when we talk about all of these teams that are doing starting to like really adapt to playing the modern game, to to spreading out, to trying to get more of an emphasis on space and pace. Kayla McBride is like the player that I automatically looked at is she was like top five in the league in three point volume while being very accurate and being capable of keeping the ball in front. And to me, that's like, that's no brainer. There are not a lot of players who can shoot off movement right now and do it on high, high volume and well, and she would have gotten a max from just about any team looking to contend next year. So for her to go back was really interesting to me because I don't really know what to think about where, what the links will look like in the next year or two. I think I have positive thoughts about the links, but I just think in terms of, you know, what that means, it would be really, really interesting. So yeah, so it was a really long rambling way of, uh, of going about that, but um, I have thoughts. Thoughts indeed. Uh, very quickly on the Chicago front uh, under contract next season. Uh, with Kyle getting the extension, it's her, Marina Mabry, um, Izzy Harrison, uh, hopefully a healthier campaign for her next year. Elizabeth Williams and Dana Evans is what I'm seeing on her whostats.com uh, for guaranteed money. So there we are on that front. Steve, what were your kind of initial thoughts as some of these uh, news items came through the pipeline? Uh, the importance of continuity. For the Storm to have the losses they took in free agency, for the Sky to have the losses they took. To be able to, to build enough around it to have these players come back and go to the next phase is extremely important for both sides. And so I think it will be fun to see Jewel Lloyd truly be a pillar and what Seattle is able to put around her. The Sky made a deal because they need to keep Kalia Copper there. And so you've kept her there. Now what's the next phase for them? But Nigelina, obviously important to the Liberty. I like the fact that they've already said, we need to keep you around. We like what we have. Please keep playing for us. And then again, I think Kayla McBride, what she's brought to the Lynx, how important she's been for the Lynx this year. I think that goes under the radar uh, because injuries to fee, injuries to Diamond Miller. Kayla has been playing her tech tail off. I like to see these teams trying to figure out how they can continue to build and compete going forward. All right. Got you. I think for me, like as far as the surprise go, I, I think the Kalia Copper one was probably the most surprising one to me. Like, I've made jokes with y'all or just on my timeline about Jewel Lloyd. And I've made, like, serious comments like, huh, it would be cool to see Jewel on a contender, period, because of how good she is. But not super surprised that she decided to stay in Seattle, just thinking about what that organization is, what the coaching staff is, her having the ability to have her own thing plus that money, and having that kind of fan base and that kind of support. And that's something that she was talking through and some of the other players were talking through um, during exit interviews a little bit earlier today. It's like, we're trying to put this together. This is a down year for us. And we have sellout crowds and fans just really invested in what we do. And they all talked about how much that meant to them. So it's cool for Joy to just kind of have that. Um, and I'm curious to see how Indiana, excuse me, how Seattle builds around her. From there, 
my mind immediately went to, okay, so who exactly is left in terms of this free agent class? And there, there are still some pretty big names out there, I would imagine, of big name players that I think very clearly will just be elsewhere next year. Like, I think Skylar Diggins-Smith probably tops the list for me. Um, like, you have Breonna Stewart and John Quill Jones, but I would imagine they're both going to be back. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of, like, who's taking less or who's taking how much less and stuff like that would be my guess. Um, like, Neck is another name, but I think she's going to be coming back. Brittany Grimes is another name. Um, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, but I think she's also coming back. So my mind just kind of went to, okay, who could move? Like, Skyler, I'm interested to see what Washington does, period, <laughs> just because of who can hit the uh, unrestricted market for them, uh, including Elena Deladon and Tasha Cloud. That's going to be interesting to me. Um, Mark, to kind of bounce off of your Kayla McBride point, I think that's what also makes someone like Rebecca Allen interesting to me in this free agency period because of how good she's been for Connecticut with her ability to not just knock down shots, but do it off of movement, her ability to defend and really hold serve in multiple schemes defensively as well. I wonder how sought after she's going to be or, you know, just kind of flip it. What is the hierarchy going to look like for Connecticut in terms of their free agents? I think she's she's a free agent. Tiffany Hayes is a free agent. Bree Jones is a free agent, but I would imagine she's going to be back. Connecticut is kind of where my eyes turn, like zooming out from these four teams. But ultimately, again, I think Kalia Copper was the surprising one for me just with <clears throat> Chicago made the swing. Uh, the season didn't go as anticipated for Chicago, but they were still able to make the playoffs. And the fact that this went to the buzzer, as Mark kind of talked about, made me think, huh. This may be, even if Kai ends up hitting the market and coming back to Chicago, I figure she would actually try to test the market first and see what's out there. So that was pretty much my only, that was my biggest surprise. Um, any closing thoughts from either one of you before we move to the uh, award portion? No. All righty. Well, we got the firm note from Steve. <laughs> uh, she'll back to Mark very briefly. Uh, Steve and I did our awards episode um, on, fr- on Thursday, dropped Friday. And we were able to talk to what our final picks would be heading into the weekend. I guess before I go to Mark, Steve, did you have any changes over the weekend? Or are you pretty firm with where you were? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. Got you. Got you. I was rethinking. <clears throat> I was starting to rethink defensive player of the year. I think that's probably like the big award that I was kind of like, wait a minute. Do I want to do something else? Because I had Alyssa Thomas one Asia two. And then Asia closed the season with like 14 stocks and three fouls. And I'm just like, okay, wait a minute. This is a bit insane. And this kind of reemphasizes what she's been post all-star break in particular on the defensive end. Um, so like, I, again, I'm not going to be upset if Asia wins defensive player of the year over Alyssa. Like Alyssa, I think is still my pick just for everything that she's asked to do for Connecticut and just what that impact has been on top of what she's asked to do on the other end. Um, but that's probably my biggest one. Mark, for you, as someone with the ballot, what was the award decision-making process like for you this year compared to last year? Uh, yeah, no, I was telling you guys before we jumped on, I thought this year was a little bit, other than MVP, I thought this year was a little bit easier than last year because um, I think for me, so much of it was, um, like, I felt like I kind of kept a running thing in my head all year um, in trying to keep a pulse on it and see where I was at. Um, I didn't make it as public this year just because I didn't feel like it, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I like, obviously I'm here to be uh, transparent, but um, mainly just for my own sanity, I was just kind of keeping it, you know, I, I was talking to people about it throughout the year and, and feeling it out. And um, I think 
watching the ebbs and flows of the year, like, like we've talked about a little bit, I think um, so many of the teams had like very clear ups and downs. I think that coincided with how some players played as well. And um, that impacted the awards race for sure in, in every facet. And I think the biggest thing that I continue to look for is consistency, especially when we come to awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having the consistency, uh, having growth in a season, like I, th- I do feel like, unless what you did at the beginning of the year was so prolific that it just kind of can't be ignored. I think it's really difficult to take something where you tail off as the season goes on. Um, especially when we're talking about, um, you know, looking at the culmination of an entire year. Okay. I got you. Um, you mentioned MVP. Was there another award that you were like, Hmm, I'm not sure what I want to do with this with a specific spot. If it was a team side or like MIP, did you have to kind of cycle through anything? Um, I, MIP, no. I think coach of the year, I had to cycle through quite a bit because I do think there were quite a few worthy candidates. And then I ended up honing in on one. Um, but for the rest, I felt pretty solidified on where I was at. I think six player of the year made itself pretty present to me after some injuries happened as the year went on because I felt like that was a pretty clogged up uh, award for most of the season. And then again, like the last month, I think that kind of made itself a little bit more clear. Mm-hmm. Um MIP has been pretty clear for me the entire year. I think if anybody follows me or has looked at my Twitter today, they know who <laughs> I voted for MIP. Um, and yeah, I think for me, there hasn't, the, yeah, but like other than that, maybe like the 10th spot in all WNBA was really hard, but everything else I felt very good about. Okay. All right, then let's get through your ballot. Then what was your MVP ballot? Yes, let me pull that up on the side <laughs> for really the second quick. year in a row, folks. We have done it. I have it. I ha- like. I do actually have it. Okay, so I'm going to go bottom up or from top down. Uh, whichever one you're more comfortable with, friend. Okay, I'll just go bottom up. So fifth place, I had Nafisa Collier of the Minnesota okay. Lynx. Fourth place, I had Satu Sabu of the Dallas Wings. Third place, Alyssa Thomas of the Connecticut Sun. Second place, Brianna Stewart of the New York Liberty. And first place. For the second time in a row, uh, from me, Asia Wilson from the Las Vegas Aces. Oh, wow. Okay. So just to quickly bounce off of that, because I feel like you have been, among like the national media anyway, I feel like you've been the biggest Alyssa Thomas truther in the public space, at the very least. And I feel like we were talking pretty recently where you had, we've been doing MVP rankings together. Like Alyssa has been in pretty high regard for you as we've had our conversations and we had to kind of come to like a consensus with us. So what led to Alyssa at three for you. Yeah. Um, you're, you're right. I think I, I've been very blunt. Like AT is my favorite player in the league in terms of people to talk to, in terms of people to be around, in terms of people to watch. Um, and I had to be like honest and keep that out of it. I, I would just like to point out, I do everything to remain as unbiased as possible in everything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we are ever going to be able to fully remove bias from things, but I, I do think, you know, I was, I was diligent in this. Um, yeah, here's what it came down to for me. Uh, cause I think you and I tend to look at MVP very similar in some ways. And you made a really good comment the other day on Twitter. I don't think I weighed in on it, but, um, you mentioned that you normally don't take head to head into, into factor too much. And I agree with that, except for this MVP race, mm. this MVP race, I had to, I think that's what was really difficult for me with this MVP last year. I didn't really feel like I needed to in some ways, because I just felt the aces were so good. And so much of that was due to Asia. Um, and I just felt she was on a different level. Like obviously Stu was right there. I didn't quibble with anybody voting her MVP, but to me, it just was Asia. 
this year, um, I do think all three of these players, if you have their season that they're having now, last year, they're the MVP winner for me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you factor that in, when you factor in that all three of them are doing something historic, Stewie, most 40-point games in a season, Asia ties the scoring record. And what she did, you did a really good job laying this out as well. But I think what she's done since Candace Parker went down has again gone a little bit underrated because of how well the Liberty played. And I understand that. But also, I think like that factors in for me. Um, and AT has been, I mean, as historic as historic can be uh, with what she's done this year. So when I do bring in the head to head factor, uh, I think it's less about wins and losses for me. And it's more so how did you play against the other player? And as good as AT still was defensively in those games, I think it's really hard to not take into account how much her her offense, her individual offense dips playing against Stewie or or, or, or Asia. And again, that's not just on AT. Like that is a team thing. That's mm-hmm. part of, you know, that's part of how it goes. But at the same point, I think when we're talking about, okay, making that, considering you as the MVP, I think that matters. Like being able to beat the best of the best, because even against the wings, um, like I thought, I mean, AT still had very good games against the wings and I'm not trying to discredit her at all, but I just think it does factor in for me um, when we get it this close and, and cut ties. And I, I think the ultimate thing for me is I went the, the last couple of weeks, so much of my season had been thinking about like, oh, well, you know, like Stewie's doing, Stewie carried the Liberty and then she's gone into this role where she's able to really thrive for them no matter what. And um, like, that's just really impressive. And then you can do the whole, well, AT is doing this, playing as many minutes a night as she does while just being one of the best players in basketball. And I just kept coming back to Asia Wilson is having a better season than she did last year on both sides of the ball while improving as a player, like her mid-range game this year. I think that the mid-range game has always been really solid this year. It was I'd argue she was the best front court mid-range player in the game, which says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Aces were a historic team. Like we're going to talk about them as one of the greatest WNBA teams of all time. And I think when I kept coming back to that, I was like, to me, it just feels really uh, difficult for me to not reward that for what she's done. Um, especially when we talk about, Again, like what they've done without Candace Parker, um, because that has been extreme heavy lifting. Yes, there's a ton of really good players on that team. But when you talk about the front court and what the depth looks like without Candace, he as a starter is just not the same as for coming off the bench. I think that's really hurt the offense. We've seen that play out, especially in the half court. Um, and they really have had to kind of figure out what's what with 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 their backup options in the front court. And Again, it's just for Asia to raise her play the level that she has. I, to me, she was the clear-cut best player in the league this year on the best team, wrote, raised them to be the best team when it mattered most. And that's that's MVP for me, um, especially considering how good she was in all the head-to-head matchups, other than I think she had one get one bad game against Liberty. Um, so, yes, that is where I lean. Okay. Um, I have a question for you. Honestly, I have a question for you and Steve, because I was kind of thinking about this over the weekend um, and it was kind of jawed by Steve hitting me with the head to head question. And so for me, and I will start actually, I'll start with Steve, if that's OK. At what point or where in like your tiebreaker system, whatever it may be, 
at what point, if any, does this player is just better than this one come into play for you? Because as I've talked through like MVP throughout the year, like again, like the episodes are out there, like I middle of the year, like I had AT as my MVP. But like at no point have I thought, and obviously with all due respect, but at no point have I thought, like I feel like Asia and Stewie in whatever order you put them in are the top two players in basketball. And I don't know if Alyssa is that. And so like, does that factor in as a tiebreaker for you at all with a race this close that, you know what, I just feel like Stewie's better or I feel like Asia's better? Does that move her down or do you still just kind of keep it to whatever the season has been? Uh, whatever the season's been. In a yeah. two-person race, I think I might weigh that a little heavier. When it becomes three, four, however many you want, I find it difficult to put it on that type of scenario mm-hmm. because they're asked to do different things. So even if everyone gets the same stamp, they get it in a different way. So I can't necessarily say that, hey, clearly Asia and Stewie are better. Alyssa Thomas is just different. I think, what, 85, 86% of her field goal attempts are in the paint. So she's a different player than the other two. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, what is your overall impact? And so if you go purely head to head, it gets tricky. Like for me, I look at, I think someone in the agenda field was pointing out that Stewie couldn't make a shot against the Mystics, right? Mm-hmm. And then I just went to the box score. And I was like, oh yeah, Asia also had a tough time playing against the Mystics. The Mystics are good. You know who didn't yeah. have a tough time playing against the Mystics? Alyssa Thomas. <laughs> So if you if you go with, hey, this player is better, there's always going to be something that counters it, at least for me. So my thought process is I need to understand just how good they are, just how impactful they are for their team. And then you just kind of go from there because everyone's going to have their own tiebreakers. It's subjective. Eventually, you have to find something that you have research for and your gut also feels good about. And you say, I got to do that. This year was very tough. In that sense, mm-hmm. because literally, again, anything I wanted to say about any one of them, I could say about the other. So for me, head to head wasn't the tiebreaker in this specific scenario, just because of how good they all have been. Yeah, yeah I shouldn't have said it's so it wasn't the tiebreaker for me per se, but I do oh, think like it was. No, yeah, no, I no just, just want to say that No, I just I was just trying to reiterate like I, it did factor in, but it wasn't it wasn't the tiebreaker. Got you. And I, I mostly ask because, like, I think about, you know, Marcus, you were kind of laying out the, the pace and some of the scoring limitations, I'll say, for Alyssa. And I guess that's where it goes into, like, yeah, there's a level of versatility that Stewie has or that Asia has that AT doesn't. Like, it also makes it more incredible that AT was able to lead this team to the third seed and Connecticut's offense overall was very good. Defense was obviously very good. But, like, I don't know. Like that's also part of the ceiling because she has to do so much. And because she has like some very specific limitations as a score, those kind of things pop up against, you know, you mentioned Dallas, you mentioned New York. And that's where I'm like, okay, and does that factor in at all? I hope I'm making sense. I, I get what you're saying, but I think part of where I would just defer a little bit um, or maybe defer is even the wrong word, but I, cause I've thought about this a lot too. My biggest thing that I had gripes with with how people looked at AT this year is considering her as a front court player in some ways. Like she's a guard, man. Like I th- like that sounds crazy, but like I think you have to almost grade her as a guard with how much of the offense she's carrying. Mm-hmm. Like 
over 50% of her baskets were unassisted, which Stewie and Asia just cannot compare with. Um, it's just different. And I do think like, yes, some of the inefficiency stuff is very fair to bring up, but at the same point, like it's not the same in terms of talking about what Asia and Stewie are doing. I think it just goes back to what Steve was talking about. Like, it's really hard to just grade everything looking at it point blank, because to me, like, like we, I mean, you guys have talked about Connecticut's guard play all year on here. And I do think point blank, like if Connecticut had different guards, like, and this is not shaded them, but I think like, like when you talk about a ceiling, if Alyssa Thomas is on the aces and she's playing with Chelsea Gray and Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, and they have those spacing principles while she's operating as a handoff of obviously it looks different, but like point B, if she has a different guard group, I do think some of those limitations look very different um, because so much of why defenses are able to crash down and make things harder on AT to me is because of what some of their guard play looks like this year. So it just, it makes it harder um, in terms of that, but I definitely get where you're coming at. And I think ultimately it just comes back to, you can only really look at what's happening instead of projecting what's not. Gotcha. Sounds fair. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code WONDERY. Defensive player of the year, who did you have? This one was easy for me. It was AT. Like, I think this is where I come to on it. And this is why, to me, what's so funny is like, it was so much less about the triple-double aspect for me with her MVP case. And it's what she's done defensively this year. Like she is the sun defense. Like, and that's not meant to be hyperbolic. I think what she's done defensively and that's where it went, especially when you talk about minutes load, like for her to play what 36, 37 minutes per game. Well, playing this level of defense is kind of insane to me. Um, like, I think that sometimes it can be a little bit cliche and arbitrary talking about, you know, players who don't take plays off, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think when you look at what AT's work rate was in terms of, and then you talk about how important what she did was, um, while also factoring in how impactful she was, like, I think part of what does a disservice to her is that she isn't a high steals and blocks person. Um and I think like it just drastic. So any defensive metric to me greatly undersells how good she is on that end because so much of what she does is in timing and 
positioning and and beating people to their spots, honestly, without really even needing to foul. Like that's what was that's again, that's part of what was so impressive this year. Like the lack of fouling for how often, for how long she's playing and how aggressive she still is. Like defensively, again, like it should it's not all just about minutes, but to me, again, it came down to like she's the most important player on that team defensively while doing this literally more than anybody has without really taking any playoff. And I think when it comes down to everything being about consistency for me and being consistently at the best level, I think it's, it was pretty clear cut AT for me. I got you. And I'm glad you made the point about like some of the numbers. Cause I think she's up there in steals, but and I've made this point recently. I think the block numbers just do a great disservice for people that aren't watching Connecticut nightly. The low block numbers do a disservice to just how good of an interior presence she is. Mm-hmm. With her positioning, her timing, her contest, she disrupts a lot for Connecticut defensively. And the minute point is a good one. That's something that I didn't factor in as much and probably should have factored in more. What made you feel even better about the depoy pick? Because I had AT2. But yeah, to do that for 37 minutes a night is insane to me. That's just a wild workload. And you think about, you know, comparatively, you know, like I, I think we all agree Stewie has been all world defensively this year. But on the interior, you do have, especially post Austin break, you have John Quell. On the wing, you have a Benajah Laney. For Connecticut, <clears throat> Rebecca Allen's been very good. Like, has she been a better perimeter defender than Benajah to you this year? Uh, I mean, I think it depends on what you're asking. I think off the ball, yes. Like, mm-hmm. not that Benajah has been bad off the ball, but I think it's, it, again, it, it just all comes into different things. Like, I think she excels in denial and getting to do what she can operating as a roamer but it's you know so it's just different things but no she hasn't been better than Benajah I got you that's fair like again I'm not trying to make that seem like there's a huge gap between two anything like that no you're good it's just making me think I got you and then with the aces like I don't think the aces have a quote-unquote perimeter stopper like a Benajah um that could be Jackie but she's taken on more of an offensive load this year so naturally there's been a little bit of slippage defensively like she's still solid um, but then on the interior, like Asia did have Candace in the beginning of the year, and she's had Kia flank with her since the injury as well. And so, like, you look at the infrastructure there and what could make the best skills pop, if I could put it that way, what Stewie does as a help defender and as a roamer on the backside, like that is aided by the ball pressure that you may get with Benajah ahead of her or John Quell behind her. With Asia, having someone like Kia can help unlock some of the aggression um, off the ball. With AT, she doesn't have that to the same degree. And again, and to your point, Mark, she's also just playing more than both of them. Both of the uh, other top candidates, I would say. And so I, I've just been very impressed with what AT's been able to do. Uh, if you want to roll through the others quickly, uh, six-player rookie of the year, uh, you hinted at most improved already. Yeah, rookie of the year was a very easy Leah Boston for me. I don't think that that, that was pretty untouchable. Um, <laughs> six-player, I just... Six player was a really fun year for me, but until the last couple of weeks when we just had to deal with some injuries, because I thought to me, um, I don't want to say she was my front runner, but Dijanae Carrington was, was my six player of the year for most of the year, especially when you talk about to me, like when you're a six player closing is really important to me. Like, I think if you are actually closing in lineups that just weighs a little bit more, not that scoring off the bench doesn't matter, but I think like when a coach is trusting you to, to close games that just inherently means more to me. And so when Dijanae was doing that and like, there were games where when, I mean, we've seen what that, that half court offense has been like, and especially like part of what really popped for her was post all-star game when she had uh, a week or two of just some really big games coming off the bench and kind of 
just getting them buckets through energy, hustle, and and hitting shots. And that was at times their best form of offense because of how much they were struggling with some of the ways that they were starting to get defended post all-star break. And obviously I think her defense has been phenomenal. So I, I love that, but by virtue of dealing with the injury that took her out for most of the last month of the season um, and dealing with some of the inefficiency that started to hit her a little bit later on in the year. Um, it took her out of the race a little bit for me. Um, so it was kind of down to, I had Kayla Thornton. Um, I've loved KT. I think she's been awesome this year, especially early on in the year. She was so important for what the Liberty did. It still was as, as the year went on. But I think when you talk about like not necessarily saving them, but like being a player that they used as kind of a safety blanket to close lineups in games when they absolutely needed it. I think that was really important, but I'm doing all this to say I voted for Alicia Clark because Alicia Clark, again, when you factor in minutes, like, and I, I don't mean to make it just about minutes, but I think when you're talking about how much she's closed for the aces, she's played about like, I think 300 more minutes this season than, than most of the other six player of the year candidates. Like I, 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 I do want to say too, Dana Evans was really good this year. It's just the efficiency for me. I think the efficiency made it a little bit harder for me to, to be as bought in, but I, I love what she brought. I think the playmaking growth was really awesome to see. When you just talk about what AC is doing defensively, how important she is for lineups, consistently hitting her shots, not really having any dip during the season. Obviously, she had like the small run where she couldn't hit the broad side of a barn for about four or five games. But other than that, she <laughs> hit everything. And I think that speaks to her case as well, because when they had that stretch, they were like, well, shit, our offense kind of <laughs> is a little stinky right now. And yeah, to me, it just I think it was AC. Um, that's that's so I ended up voting for AC. Okay, and then you, I would imagine you were a Satu person for most improved. Where did you land for I, Coach of the Year? I was Satu for most improved. Uh, for Coach of the Year, this one was so hard. I think this was the hardest one for me, um, to be honest, <laughs> because well, it's funny because I feel like the more that I learn about the game and actually like understand coaches and and talk to them more, like it just makes it harder to to look at it because there's so many ways to think about it. Um, I ended up going with Sandy Brondello um, because for me, and I, this is not even meant as a, because I think part of my issue, and we talked about this the other day, part of my issue with coach of the year is I feel like it tends to be like, Oh, well, we didn't expect you to do that. So here's an award. And I just think it does a disservice to the actual award. Like not to say that coaches aren't deserving of it, but at the same point, like I think like, okay, well, there has to be a set of expectations banked in. And I think when you look at what the expectations were for the Liberty this season, like this was very much a, they need to be very good this season. Like it's, it's not, you know, this was very, I don't want to say it was like do or die, but this is not a team that can end up like a fifth seed this year, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and to watch where they were at the beginning of the season, all of the things that they've done to get to where they're at now, how they've moved pieces around, how they've worked lineups differently the way that she was able to mesh five all-star all WNBA caliber talents um to play cohesively on the offensive end but also to to make this like a functional defense after what it looked like early on in the year um I just I mean that's wildly impressive to me and that's to be fair too because like talking because then you can automatically well, well Becky Hammond made this team even better than they were last year and I'm like I know, man, it's like <laughs> the worst thing to have to pick between the two of them, because I hear that exactly. Becky's who I picked for coach of the year last year. Um, 
and like their continuity and what they were able to build on from that this year, I think is very deserving of that. But I think again, for me with Sandy, with how much was put on, Oh, well this, this could just go to shit, you know, like there's, this could just diverge into ice football, this and that. And like, I think a lot of that deserves to go on the players too, because there has to be that level of buy-in, but Hey man, there's a certain place in the desert that had some of these questions last year, obviously different players, different talent, but Whoa, buddy, that shit did not click at all. So I'm just saying, <laughs> if you have the wrong coach, it is not going to look right. And I think that it was able to look like this this year. Speaks volumes to the jobs Sandy did. So I, I picked Sandy Brondello. I had a tough time not changing my mind to Sandy, yeah. honestly, because of how she built what they built on both ends of the floor, as you stated. But I feel like coach of the year is going to be a nightmare for some folks because as we talked about that undercurrent of, we didn't think this would be this. And there were some great coaching jobs. Like if you want to tell me LT deserves some praise, I get it. You want to tell me about Stephanie white. I get it. But I hope what Sandy and Becky did doesn't go under the radar just because that's my roster. They had exactly. That's my, that's my biggest thing with you. Cause I think that's the, double-edged sort of expectations because if you have all these people like, well, we expect you to do this. Okay. So you're not going to appreciate it when it actually happens. Like, cause I think it's one thing to expect it, but like, again, it's, it's so easy to lose sight of how difficult it is to actually make some of this stuff happen. Like it's like, I think obviously I don't want to undersell the aces cause I think they've done it to an even higher degree, but both of these teams are like historic in what they're doing. So I just feel wrong not not uh, awarding either side of that with how it's played out. I do wonder, like, how much, quote unquote, better this can get in terms of, like, coach of the year discourse and just thinking through the award generally. Because I think both we've all kind of talked about, like, the expectation portion. And for me, I just kind of balance, like, okay, like, what if you were just wrong? Like, what if just your initial thoughts were wrong? Like, it's. Who would admit that? Like, how to work? Hmm? Who would who would ever admit that? Ah, well, have you, have you been outside? Who would ever admit that? <laughs> My thing is, and as you try and find the words, I would say there's always going to be room for the team that overperforms their expectations. That always is going to be an easy thing to point to for coach of the year. Mainly because, A, sometimes you just don't know why that team is good. And so you assume, hey, coach, you did that. B, the name McMillan pat on the back award, as we call it. <laughs> like you're just oh, no. you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to see that, and that's a tangible thing. It's loud. You know what I mean? I think it helps people. I think it's harder to appreciate what some of the the quote unquote top coaches do, unless the record is behind it. Mm. So let's say you have a good team, you do a great job coaching, you finish three or four, you might just be out. <laughs> you know what I mean? You might just not get the. The, the same credit because you didn't finish one or you, you know, you weren't blow enough that we thought, you know, we can really understand what you did. So I, mm-hmm. I just think that's an aspect that is fine. Like I don't have no problem with it. I always like to pick a coach that I didn't think this would happen. You did a great job. I just don't know how we balance it going forward to where we can appreciate both sides of the coin because generally coaching gets blamed. Yeah. That was going to be the other part. Like, 
I think generally there's such a lack of knowledge about what all goes into coaching. And a lot of conversations are just about like, okay, it's, it's rotation talk and it's timeout talk. It's generally how it goes. Unless you are like constantly, like if you're in media and you're talking to coaches every day or whatever, or if you have a coaching background yourself, like there's just a, a information deficit. And like, as Mark, as you know, like we'll hop in zooms, even if we ask questions, sometimes we're just not getting that information because duh, they're game planning for some of this stuff or they're trying to convey a message to their team. We're not going to get the insight that we, we want 100% of the time either. And so, like, it's trying to balance that portion with, again, this is something that you've noted with me in Connecticut, because I think I had, what, five or six in my preseason rankings or something like that, where <clears throat> Connecticut has outdone my expectations. My expectations might have just been too low to begin with. And, like, so for me, my mind goes to, okay, am I overcorrecting for just being initially wrong or did they actually exceed what they were supposed to like did I just miss fundamentally what they were supposed to be to begin with and so therefore I had them lower and then when they end up in three I feel like it's like a four or five spot jump versus okay the baseline was probably like four for them and they finished three based on having AT having Dewana, Stephanie White obviously a brilliant basketball mind etc etc like maybe the baseline just should have been four for Connecticut and they finished third and so it's still a good coaching job but it isn't as big of a leap as someone who might have thought, OK, they traded John Quell and now Bree Jones goes down early. They're just going to finish 10th or something mm-hmm. and then overshooting it that way. Yeah. So like, no, it's interesting to think of it. And yeah, I, I think you bring up really great ideas because I don't know what's the how to necessarily um, factor that in. And I think it's to me, it's less about like, binaries with it it's more about like baking in the well this could happen or that could happen and you know like looking at it in multiple ways i don't I don't know if that's making sense but point being you what you're saying makes sense to me okay just, i just i just think a whole lot probably too much honestly <laughs> we go away from basketball but like that's mm-hmm. where i'm just like huh how much of this is just we're just sometimes we're just wrong and now we're rewarding based on how wrong we were versus Maybe our process should have been cleaner beginning of the year with some of these expectations. And like, I'm talking to me first, because again, I had Connecticut like five or six or seven. I'm trying to remember what the exact order was. You what? I, I, I did not have them in the top three. Like, I was very The disrespect. High. Oh, brother. I think my top three was uh, the Aces, the Liberty, the Mystics. Oh, I had the Aces, the Mystics, the Liberty. I think I had Atlanta four. <clears throat> and so I had Connecticut, I think six, I want to say. And so again, like, I just ended up being wrong. Uh, you know, and it should be easier to just say, hey, I was wrong about something. But, you know, neither here nor there. Anyway, Mark, give us your all defense and all W teams and then we will move into some playoff talk. Yeah, all defense for me. Uh, first team was Alyssa Thomas, Jordan Canada, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, Neku Gumake. Uh, all defensive second team. I have Benai Jelani, Brittany Sykes, Alicia Gray and Ezzy Magbegor. OK, is that not I feel like that's nine. That is 10. Oh, did I, who did I miss then? You might have cut out for me. Um, first team was AT, Jordan Canada, Asia, Brianna, uh, Brianna, nobody called her, Stewie, uh, okay. and Neca. Second team was Benajelani, Brittany Sykes, Elizabeth Williams, Alicia Gray, and Essie Magrivore. Oh, okay. I missed Elizabeth Williams the second time. Okay. So what led you to uh, Brittany Sykes on the second team and Neca on the first team? Uh, I just think, especially when I'm factoring in 
like maybe it's the wrong way to do it. But for me, I think how good the team's defense is matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mystics just fell off a cliff this year. A lot of that is everybody else being out. I think Slim was fantastic on that end. But for me, like, okay, especially with how good the Sparks were post Oscar break, first, first best defense after the break in the league. And NECA was a large part of that alongside JC. For me, I just, I put her on first team. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. I have a um, quick Steve. question. Were there any people you felt like made the short list or you maybe thought should have been on? You had to cut any hard cuts for you? Uh, I wanted to have Nafisa Collier on. Uh, I think her individual and team defense has been really solid this year, but it's just when you look at the links as a whole, it's really hard. And I know that will automatically go to, well, then why do you have Elizabeth Williams on? Um and that is very fair. I just think when you look at how much she was asked to do and how bad that team was at stopping the ball, that they were able to field like an almost average defense is wildly impressive to me and it's very, very much a testament to her play. Um, so I think that one was tough. Uh, who else did I struggle to leave off? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there were like any omissions I felt terrible about on this. I don't feel anybody was quite good enough for Dallas this year to warrant consideration. Like I thought Natasha Howard deserved a look. I don't think that she was quite all defense level this year. I think she does all defense things. I don't think that I think part of it is just tough because of waves arms wildly at what their defense was the last (laughs) month and a half of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and like just by virtue of playing with that pace, I do think that you're going to kind of shoot yourself in the foot with what that looks like consistency wise. But, um, I, I thought about the one of honor. Um, but I think when I, again, like when I'm, when I can't have Fion, I'm not going to have DB on. So, um, but for the most part, I felt very good with, with where I ended up on that. Okay. Before we get your all W teams. I would imagine Aaliyah Boston, Diamond Miller, Dorka Juhas, uh, Jordan Horston would be four of your rookies on the all-rookie team. Who is your fifth? Yes. This one, I actually debated a lot on this one. I went with Grace Berger from the Indiana Fever, particularly because, like we talked about at the beginning of the pod, the way she raced her play throughout the year was really, A, very fun to watch. I love seeing somebody's confidence grow. But, like, to become a player who's closing games for them while they're playing really well, um, I thought stood out. Um, leaving off Haley Jones uh, was understandable for me, at, like uh, mainly just because her minutes tailed off. So it was really when you're talking about having players playing, it's hard. But I do just want to shout out because they were, I think the dream were like seven or eight points per 100 possessions uh, better with Haley on court this year. Uh, it's just hard when you have that many guards in front of you, but I'm really excited for her future. Um, the hardest one for me, though, to remove from the fifth spot was Dulce Fenkamengiadu um, because she had that stretch where she started games and she started to close the year. But like she started and was playing like 20 plus minutes a game for the storm and was like genuinely very good for about a 10 game stretch. Um, but then kind of tailed off as you want. Part of that was teams just I don't want to say figuring her out, but like kind of rookieing her and, you know, finding ways to to work around her energy and her defense and what she brought. Um but I thought like with how well she played this year, it was really hard for me to keep her off. Um, but I ended up having to go with Grace, just given you know how she closed her year out. Okay. 
do you have a rookie like total minutes threshold or games played threshold, or do you you don't go that granular with it? Uh, my only like real threshold is if you leave to go overseas in the middle of the season, I'm probably not going to vote for you. Um, I think that's it. Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, shout out Ivana. All right, who did you have on your all W teams, good sir? Um, let me scroll up to that bad boy if I can find it. Which guards it's, had you in a headlock? The answer is all yes. Of them. <laughs> the answer is yes. All of them. Um, so first team is really easy to get out of the way because it's my MVP ballot. Alyssa Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. If you have an MVP ballot, that's going to be your first team. Uh, so it's Alyssa Thomas, Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, Satu Sabali, and Nafisa Collier. That is my first team. Second team. I had two automatic locks for me. Oh, actually, I should say three automatic locks for me. And then figuring out the last two spots was hard. So my three automatic locks were in this order. Neko Gumake, Jewel Lloyd, and Jackie Young. And then that made, well, fit seven players into the last two spots extremely difficult. Um, I ended up going with Chelsea Gray and Sabrina Ionescu. Um mm. I think Chelsea, for me, it was extreme. The idea of leaving off Chelsea Gray was, like, impossible to me. I think when I just think about, like, this is to me when I talk about, well, like, like, like you mentioned, Nikias, with MVP about, like, well, is this player better than who? I think to me it almost came down to that on, on my all-W teams because I was like, I cannot look myself in the mirror and say Chelsea Gray hasn't been a top-10 player in the league this year in terms of impact. In terms of what she's brought, in terms of how good she's been, I was like, "There's no way I can I can like comfortably say that." Um, so I, after debating with myself for a while, I put her on because, like, sneakily, her playing better defensively this year has been a huge part of their defense being better. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking about with somebody the other day. I can't get to her with like all defense. I think that would be a little too much for me. But like, she's legitimately been very good rotating low for them. Has done some stuff like holding up on the post, has been big on some of the scram switching things that they've done. Um, so that's been really fun to see from her because that was not the case last year. Um, and then offensively, like saying that her shooting splits tailed off is kind of wild when you consider <laughs> she was still shooting like almost 50, 40, 90 as the year finished out, but it's that she was shooting like 55, 45, 95 early on in the year. Like her play, I just she was a top 10 player. It's kind of a no-brainer for me. Um, Sabrina, I think, was – this was kind of the the liberty have to have two players on uh, to an extent. Like, I try not to weigh it like that that much, but I also think it was when we're just being honest about how freaking good Sab was in the second half of the year. Like, this team becoming that level of team is – like, we're – Legitimately, I think we're going to look back at this year, and I'm looking at it right now. Like this is one of the one of, if not the best, three point shooting seasons that anybody's had in women's professional basketball. Um, I think she finished shooting 44.9 percent from deep on the season, and then when you factor in the difficulty, how many of those shots are off movement, coming off screens, pulling up, and how that was literally that's like half of the half of the court is built off of what Sab does for the team. Like mm-hmm. all the stuff that they did with just automatically building in. Okay. Well, as soon as we start doing anything, we're running a flare screen off the backside or we're doing something to keep your offense. I mean, to keep your defense occupied and then really keep things open for us. Like that was huge for her. 
uh, I mean, huge for the Liberty, but huge for her. And just her in general, her second half of the season was was fantastic. Um, and I think one of the 10 best in the league. Um, and I think when you look at the rest of the candidates, it was difficult because I think for me, you look at the top eight slash top nine that I had, all of them I felt were extremely consistent throughout the year. I think once you start getting to like that 10th spot is when you start having, okay, well, this month was a little bit funky for you or this, like, I mean, okay. So I looked at uh, Kelsey Plum was really hard to have off. She was awesome to close out the year. The beginning of her season was rough from a shooting standpoint. I think the defense was really fun to watch and was really good from her. She made real growth. But at the end of the day, when you look at what the actual shooting was to start the year, I think that has to factor in and it has an impact. Um, Arike was probably the toughest person for me to leave off um, because I tend to side more with Steve on what she did this year. I do think like there's always just going to be one or two shot more than one or two shots a game that you're like, what if you didn't take that shot? Mm-hmm. But I think it just belittles so much of how important it was that she did take that shot in some ways, like as infuriating as the, pull up 29 footer can be when it doesn't go down and it's three seconds in the shot clock when it does go down. And then it sparks a 17 to four run that the wings go on. Like you can't discount that. And so much of what the wings were able to do this year was because of like her energy and pace this year was insane. Like for her to play. And I do think to be fair, I think her defense wore down a little bit as the year went on. Like when you play that many minutes, I think that's fair. And that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but like into like that shot making this year is just impressive. And then you add on to, I think, especially on th- the second half of the season, you could really see more and more of her, uh, just, and this is to me, the biggest reason other than Satu with the, the wings offense hitting the heights it has her ability to pick apart double, double teams became like at a level this year where you can't just throw two to the ball. Like last, last year you could throw two to the ball. And I felt very comfortable that your defense was going to reset or you could force a turnover or things would just stagnate this year. Like even just watching what the Seattle storm did. And I talked about it with Ariki after the game, like she doesn't do that last year, in my opinion, or at least not consistently because the storm were going from playing pretty base on them in the first half and kind of struggling a little bit with some of our UK shot making to going, okay, we are just going to flat out throw to the ball, every ball screen you have. And she had like eight assists in the second half because it was okay. I'll just hostage dribble, draw your defense out, throw the ball over top to Tierra McCown or Kalani Brown, and we're going to score. And it's extremely simple, but that simplicity is exactly why the wings are a top four team in the league this year, because they didn't have that last year to bake in, to be honest. Um, so it was, it was really hard for me to not have her on. Um, I think if the defense hadn't slipped as a year ago on, I think she would have probably been my 10th selection. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I ended up going. Um, other people I struggled to leave off. Ka was really hard to leave off. She's had a very good year. Um, trying to think if there was anybody else that I really like debated strongly on having on. Who who was hard? Is there anybody that stands out to you guys automatically that you think should have been on? For me, it was guards. Guards made it very tough, which is funny because guards made it very easy at the start. I think that's the (laughs) fun part of doing a check in or like work workshopping it throughout the year is you can kind of find the ebbs and flows. I don't know what to do with the aces guards. 
Yeah. This is one of the best starting lineups we've seen in history. And so you can make an argument for them to have four all W players. You could. That'd be kind of insane, but you can make the <laughs> argument. Jack Young was very good. Kelsey Plum was very good. Chelsea Gray is very good. I don't know how to leave one of them off. That's not fun. I had Jewel off before. Jewel and Enrique, for me, the amount of things they had to do night in and night out just made it so difficult to ignore at the end of the day. For the totality of the season, that's insane. I, I just had a tough time with the guards in general because they're all doing very good things in different ways. Like, I'm sure someone could point at Sabrina, but it's like, who else averaged 17, 5, and 5 in the W? I know it sounds like a crutch, but who else did it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the list. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, exactly. And I think that that's like a, that's a really big aspect for me because I, I really like you bringing up that point, Steve. And especially too, like I think my thing with Jewel, because I understand looking at the efficiency isn't pretty. But um, when you just factor in, like you said, how much she was tasked with doing and she still did it well. And I thought, too, like she played really well defensively this year, too. Like it wasn't like that's what sold me for her above Arike. Like, I think that just that that mattered to me, mm-hmm. um, especially too in their last head to head. She was awesome. Um, but uh, not that again, it's not just coming down to that. But um, it's one of those seasons for me where it's like, yeah, the storm weren't great. Um, but when you look at how everything could have gone with that season, um, and that she still was able to do what she did while being guarded by it felt like three or four players at a time uh, that just needed to be rewarded for me um, because she was a top 10 player in the league this year. And before Nakaias goes, that might be my coach brain activating to where I know these folks sat down and were like, we need to take her away. I value that because if, if you're facing the storm, how do people you worried about game plan wise? Facing the wings, they have balance, but who do you want to take away? Like that's where mm-hmm. it gets fun to me. Nikias, what you think? Well, no, I think those are fair cases. Like obviously we end up differing on our teams, but like I think those are very strong and fair arguments. Like I don't have any qualms or anything like that. We just kind of like for me, it's just <clears throat> I don't know. It's probably boring of me, but it's like just the, there is like a efficiency threshold for me, especially if you are a primary. And like, yeah, as we've talked about this throughout the whole year, like I don't have a bad thing to say about Jewel. I don't have a bad thing to say about Enrique. And like, it's very obvious to see just how much attention they draw. And even when the shots aren't falling, how much pressure that puts on defenses. But like comparing that to the rest of the league, it's like, okay, where are we at efficiency wise? And that's where it kind of hurt me with Jewel in particular. Cause like, okay, you're scoring a ton. And to Mark's point, like the defense has been solid. But it's like, okay, you are well below, well, not well below, but you are like below the efficiency threshold for me. And also the team is like, again, it's not her fault, obviously. But when you have both of those things working against you with Sabrina finding her shot, Kelsey finding her shot, Chelsea being good all year long, that's where it's like, I'm not trying to punish Jewel, but like so many other guards are like making the rise or have been consistent and have been impactful and their teams have been better, which, you know, again, Steve, you and I have talked about, I care less about the team success for all W than I do for like MVP. 
But when everybody's close, that's where it's like, okay, where where are my tiebreakers here? And like that's where it starts to factor in a little bit for me. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I don't I'm, mean to make it like too much in hypothetical because I try really hard to not read hypotheticals. But I think part of what's tough for me too is I'm like, would Julie not be on this list if she was on the Aces or Liberty right now? And oh, she just yeah. had this. It's like I don't know. It's like it's just. It's tough. I know it's that, that's like an unfair question to ask, and but it's uh I don't know. I, I just it's Jules is just so nice this year. She's so good. I, yeah. Like I had not not according to Twitter user at Nikias NBA oh, who did not have her on his fake MVP oh. ballot. But. Ooh, fair enough. You know what you gonna do, that's, bud? If, if that's the agenda you want to push, that's. Yeah. That, that. <laughs> You know what? You got it. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's get into the playoff talk to close this out. We got four series uh, kicking off two on Wednesday, another two on Friday. We will start with, I guess, the the one slash four side of the bracket. Uh, we'll start with Ace of Sky and Influence of Wings Dream. Let's start with the Aces in the Sky. They won the season. The Aces won the season series. Three games to nothing. Uh, two double-digit wins and a seven-point win in their matchup in August. Mark, I will start with you. Like, one, what matchup are you looking forward to the most in this one? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me, I just want to see, can the Aces come out? And, uh, like, obviously, they have been the number one defense almost all season uh, since they took that mantle from the Mystics. Um, but my thing is going to be, can they come out right away and establish, okay, we are not get, what are, what are we not giving this team? Because part of what's so fun about the Chicago team and part of why I think they're a very fun, like, I don't, I've been to, to, to clarify, I don't think that they're going to win a playoff series, but part of what makes them a very fun playoff matchup is like, they are probably other than the aces or Liberty, the best pull-up shooting team in the league. And then when you factor in volume, they are probably about the best. Like Marina really loves to get to, mid-range she's an awesome pull-up shooter from three courtney's so good getting to the mid-range has been really good playing with elizabeth and then you have dana who is incredible getting downhill into the paint and creating from there and i think 
it just is really fun because you have three very different types of ball screen scores. Um, so I'm interested to see how the Liberty, not Liberties, how the aces look to take things away and what they're willing to live with mm-hmm. off rip. Um, because I think that could be really interesting, especially when we're talking about a potentially three game sample. That's where I get a little bit excited, especially when you talk about teams maybe getting hot. I think my biggest thing is just this team does not shoot well enough from outside to really put the fear of God in a team. So, uh, but all it takes is Robin Parks going six of 11 over a couple of games or, you know, Alana Smith being helpful, healthy and, and shooting out of her mind like she did early on in the year. And, mm-hmm. and then maybe it's more of a conversation. So I think to me, again, it's more of what do they look to contain and take away and, and can they kind of assert themselves like that right away? And I would expect them to. Gotcha. Uh, before I toss this to Steve, very quickly, just doing some research ahead of the pod and ahead of a piece that I was doing. The Liberty naturally had the best offensive rating of any team against the Aces in their matchups. The Chicago Sky were second. And that is not something that I had on the bingo card when I was looking that up. Like it kind of felt like it would probably be like Connecticut because they had the big scoring outburst in the early season matchup. Um, the Fever and the Dream have also just played the, uh, the Aces tough this year even though they weren't able to get those victories ultimately. So that's kind of where my mind went. But no, Chicago, uh, that, uh, New York with a 109.1 offensive rating against the Aces this year. Chicago with a 106.1. And then there's like a, a solid drop off from there. And it's like, huh, that's going to be interesting. Steve, what are you looking forward to in this one? Well, I mean, it's touching on what you said, touching on what Mark said. The sun, I mean, the, the sky have the guards to put pressure on the Aces. Cobb, Marina Mabry, Courtney Williams, they can get buckets. They're going to force the Aces guards to defend. They're going to make pick and roll a little bit more interesting. My thing here is I wish this guy had just one different notch to them. If the defense was better to really keep the Aces in the mud, if the offense had more around those three being able to get buckets, and you can now make the Aces take the ball out of the net, and your defense can be set up, I think it'd be a lot more fun. It's just tough when you have to alternate against the Aces. Because if you're not scoring, they are going to get out and run. And if you're not defending, now you're having to uh, like attack their set defense. And none of that sounds ideal. So I, I, the Sky can compete with the Aces. Can they put together a full 40 minutes against a locked-in Aces team? Because mm-hmm. I think the one thing that stood out to me from the last time they played was the Sky jumped on them, jumped out, felt good, good flow, good movement, getting buckets. Aces turned the ball over on the other end. I don't know if we're going to see that version of the aces in the playoffs. And that's where I'm like, I'm intrigued. I want to see this, but which buttons can you hit? And I think like the biggest thing for me is what did this guy try? And I, I don't mean this is disrespect, but this feels like a template series to a degree where, Hey, we show what you could do to this team. We just don't have enough to beat them because this guy likely are going to mix coverages. You're going to see traps. You're going to see switching. Probably see some zone. They may throw everything at the kitchen sink. What can they find that will get the aces in the mud? And will this guy mm-hmm. have enough movement? You know what I mean? Like, are you going to get Mary off ball? You get Courtney Williams off ball? Is Cog going to drive? Are you going to be able to find that kind of blend? And then defensively, can you handle what the aces are going to present? Because Elizabeth Williams, great defensive player. It's a little different when Asia's flying off screens. Yeah. And she's a moving target. Now she's catching at the elbow. And now she's attacking. Lana Smith, tremendous weak side rotations. Just tremendous. 
What happens when Alicia Clark's in the lineup? Now what are you going to do? So that's where I'm like, every time I think about what this guy could do, I'm like, ah, <laughs> the Aces have a counter. Because it's like, can the Aces handle the switching? Probably. Can the Aces handle traps? Mm, maybe. Is there enough to make the Aces think? I guess that would be my question to y'all. I got you. That's kind of bouncing off of where I was because as I was, again, like writing and also note taking and film watching, whatever. It's like, you know, Chicago does a lot under him right now. And like even going back to the last matchup that you mentioned, it was interesting to me that they primarily went to switching early where early in the year. This was very much a we are aggressive. We are putting pressure to the ball. This is how we're going to handle it. And so for them to get to that third matchup against the Aces, like, all right, we're just going to switch early and see what you do. See how quickly you can find stuff. See what the decision making is going to look like from there, et cetera. It's like, okay, this is cool. And then they went from switching to zone and then went back from zone to switching. And it's like, okay. So it feels like this is a little bit more conservative. And I wonder how the Aces deal with that. And so my primary question for Chicago is like, what do they want their base to be in this series? Because I think we're going to see like all of that. We're going to see switching. We're going to see traps at some point. We're going to see like a higher drop. We're going to see zone. I wonder what they want to be the foundation that they build the counters off of. And then on the other side, like how quickly can the aces figure it out and generate good looks or can they, does this turn into a turnover fest? Like we saw in the early portion of the last matchup, or does this turn into what's kind of been the theme for the regular season series? Does this turn into more? We are catching and holding, or we are finding a matchup. And then it's just one-on-one. Like the Aces were a pretty, a relatively low assist rate team this season anyway. About 65% of their baskets were assisted on. Against the Sky, that dropped to 60. And I think that was the third lowest mark against any individual team this season. And like they still scored at a ridiculous rate because they're the Aces. But like process wise, is where I'm like, okay, if Chicago could just scheme for them and figure out, okay, I think they do worse against the switching. Let's start with that and then build our boat from there. Do the, ace, do the aces catch and hold enough? Does the shot quality drop enough to where you may have the cold three-point shooting start? And now the Sky, who generally want to play fast, especially now, are they able to just push and transition to get the aces in an early hole again? That's kind of where my mind goes. Before Mars goes, I think their base is going to be versatility. Whatever yeah. we can do to keep you out of rhythm and not feed you the same look is likely what this guy will try to do. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be what it is. Now, can you build your boat around it? We will see. But I don't think there's one thing that they feel like we're going to keep showing the aces that look because, A, the aces are very good. Coach Hammond's very good. If you show them your hand, it's going to be very tough. So they're going to have to mix coverages while also rotating, while also scoring on the other end. And that's where I'm like, I see it, but also. Yeah, I'm with Steve. I think it's really tough just because if they had um, if they had a little bit more depth in the front court, I'd maybe feel better about it. Not that they don't, but I think their depth is much more at the like at combo forward than than at the five. And I think Elizabeth Williams has to basically have like the series of her life for this to to be um, ultra competitive. And I think she's fantastic. Um, she's the reason why they've been able to uh, stay above water most of the season. Like I, part of what the issue is though, is like this team has just really struggled with communication all year. And a lot of it has been most of the times they've gone to zone is because Elizabeth can direct traffic from there and she can tell people what to do and where to be. 
And I think that's just a lot to ask once you're coming into a playoff series to, to be a team that not again, like we've seen teams that are able to kind of cobble it together and bring it together in the last moment. I just would not bet on it. Um, and I think especially too, like if she gets into foul trouble at all, I think it's just kind of cooked. Got you. All right. Uh, last thing I had then, uh, Steve, you brought it up uh, in passing. So I'll go to you first. Uh, you mentioned Kelsey Plum and I guess just the Aces guards in general dealing with the traps. How concerned are you about them facing the traps in this series? Uh, I think we've seen enough, especially in that Sparks game that sticks in my brain with what trapping can do against the Aces. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the difference is if they know it's coming and the fact they've gotten some reps against it. So I don't know if it'll be a series ender here, but it could be something you could throw out there to throw them off rhythm. Now, I think the question is, who do you do it against? And when do you do it? Because in theory, we could probably point to maybe Jackie and Kelsey and have some question marks. But if those two are getting two on the ball, that's an advantage for your offense in theory. Mm -hmm. So it's now just what do we have built in to take advantage of this and keep the sky in rotation? That's where my mind goes. I think they'll be a little bit more locked in than when we've seen it thrown at them in the past. They may may be a little bit more prepared for it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a plus if those two are getting the same attention that in theory Chelsea Gray would get in the playoffs. I mean, if we're talking about purely Jackie Young, she was probably an under. Like even in this matchup, it was, hey, Marina, you guard Jackie. If Jackie plays so well that now she's a threat that's getting two on the ball, that should be a plus for the Aces. Mm-hmm. I got you. Mark, what say you? No, I'm with Steve. I think part of what's going to be tough is I feel like this year, you can definitely have some of those questions, but I think Jackie's just gotten so much better with that. KP's decision-making has gotten better as well, where I feel like you just have to be so airtight on what you're doing, especially on the backline rotations too. And I just don't trust Chicago to do that, to be honest. Um, so I'm really not too concerned about it in the series. Okay. I got you. I got you. Uh, any closing thoughts or any interesting scheme things you're keeping an eye on before we move to the next series? Uh, I want to see if the sky can flip some of the aces switching guard to guard against mm-hmm. them. Use some pistol action, get some slips, try and own some things up that way. And then how much movement do the sky want to use? I, I just, it's hard to imagine the aces not leveling up now that it's time for the playoffs to come. And so if they go up another level, where do you compete? How do you keep the pressure on them? How do you keep, you know, defensively keep them in a box? That's where my mind's like, okay, this is tough. And with the W playoff format, you're facing a team with how many teams have beat the aces in that building this year? Uh, Let's say not many. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to do yeah, I got you. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve Mark any closing thoughts uh, just, I'm just excited for playoff Ka. Um, what does this look like with her as um, the answer uh, in a way that like obviously finals MVP but um, you know like somebody who the series is kind of riding on them to be awesome um, <laughs> because hey all like like Steve just mentioned with format. Okay, well, if you get just a couple awesome games, that's all you need. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. 
I got you. Uh, let's move more to your neck of the wolves. So one, you're in Atlanta. Two, you just left Dallas, I believe. So let, mm-hmm. let's get into the, uh, Wings' dream. As I think, you know, winner of that series will face the winner of Ace of Sky. Uh, the Wings won the season series 3 nothing, a 7-point win in the season opener, 12-point win June, on June 20th, a 17-point win yesterday. Mark, I'll start with you. Just what are your general thoughts heading into the series? What is the biggest question mark you have heading into this one? Um, I think, like, for the the dream in general, uh, I think they would have been much happier to see the sun in the playoffs and than the wings. Um, the dream are just about other than the sky, uh, the smallest team in the league, playing against the biggest team in the league, mm-hmm. and that has kind of been the problem the entire um, the entire series, like. Tierra McCowan and, and Kalani Brown kind of just owned them yesterday. And I think part of what's frustrating is the scale, the sliding scale of how this team plays is what makes it really difficult to, to kind of evaluate them uh, because we've seen a dream team that looked like a top three or four team in the league for about a month in the season. And then we saw what they did yesterday. And Part of what's really difficult is when they nail the things that they need to do, it's simple and it can be really effective. When they don't nail the things that they need to do, it looks awful. Um, And you get what happened yesterday where after things looked really good in the first half, in the second half, it became, oh, hey, nothing's coming out of these actions. Oh, hey, we're also just not really running anything because we're waiting eight seconds before we start doing anything. And then nothing happens. And then we take a shot from 17 feet and we miss and the other team rebounds it and we went for the offensive board too. And now it's four on five and now we're down 17. So that's, I've just seen that happen so many times this year. Um, I think for, I mean, for me, like I do feel like this is one of the most, like, obviously I, both of the top two series are mismatched, like in terms of the Liberty and, and aces being better in terms of being a four or five, I just think it's going to be a real struggle for the dream unless they somehow find lightning in a bottle and play like they did earlier in the year. Um, the what's interesting is I do kind of wonder if like Dallas playing at the pace they do could maybe force the dream to play faster, which they need to, mm-hmm. because when the dream play fast and when they are in a rhythm and they actually have things popping, it looks fantastic. Um, but on the other hand, if Dallas can just be active on defense and keep things in front and Atlanta isn't able to make things shake, then, whoa, buddy, that's bad. Um, it's really bad. So, yeah, I, I just don't know what uh, – that's, that's, I'll let you go from there because that's, that's a lot. Oh, man, my, I guess now my mind just kind of goes to what is the path to the dream making this – a series and not just making this a series, but like having the chance to win it because I kind of look at like, we're kind of aligned on just what the dreams offensive process has been in the half court for a lot of years. And we've been citing a lot of post all-star break stuff uh, throughout this podcast. And I just can't get past the dream for 95% of the post all-star break stretch, just being the worst W in the W in terms of offensive rating. And only recently, like passing the Mercury in the storm. And it's just like, you should not be in this class if you are trending up to make your first playoff appearance in a minute. And this is like tier, I guess, 1.5 or tier two in the rebuild for Atlanta. 
You just made the big splash for Alicia Gray. Like, this shouldn't be your offense heading into a playoff series. But I also think about what Dallas's defensive base has been for most of the year. And I do wonder, would the Dream have enough to poke at in the half court to make this interesting? Because if they are able to have some fun with Dallas's centers in pick and roll, won't say big, because that'll include Natasha Howard or Satu in some of the lineups, and that get fun. But if they so are, who are you talking to, about? Uh, uh, the uh, the very tall centers on their roster. Um, if the Dream are able to poke at those bigs and find some stuff in the half court and actually get to play a little bit of advantage basketball, this Dallas team isn't a great shooting team. Atlanta has the ability to pop in terms of volume and efficiency with some of the players that they have. If this does become an up and down affair, like this feels like the arena that they can get in. That's most comfortable for them. Because I, I actually, I think I kind of find myself on the opposite end with you, Mark on this part. Like I understand why they would probably have more comfort against Connecticut, but I also feel like Connecticut may be more equipped to like, okay, we are game plan against this team. We can just switch all of this stuff. Or I think they have the, they have a higher upside to just, completely shut down Atlanta in the half court in a playoff setting in a way that I guess I just need to see it with Dallas. And I think there may be a little bit more room for Atlanta to find some stuff in this series. And if they are, if it becomes a shot making slash driving battle between Arike and Satu and then Alicia Gray and Ryan Howard, like one, I'm just, I'm just seated because as a basketball fan, that just sounds like a lot of fun. But two, like, I feel like the opportunity is there. Like Atlanta's offense post All Star break hasn't been great. Dallas's defense post All Star break <laughs> hasn't been great either. Like, there's going to be some kind of some kind of middle ground is going to be found in this one. Like, I would probably still lean Dallas in the series if we're doing a prediction. But this feels, I guess, more toss up e to me. Or at least Atlanta has a higher a higher probability of hitting their upside offensively than against some. Yeah, I, I think it's. It's just tough for me because if they can't really get anything going to play inside out, which is what they want to do, then that's where it devolves into this. And I mm-hmm. think especially against Dallas, like they really struggle to get Cheyenne Parker going. And then it kind of becomes, well, how are we playing inside out? Mm-hmm. Because they get some of the one-off drives and stuff like they did early on in the game yesterday. But then when Dallas starts to to play off some things, Especially now, like, I think I'd feel better if they had Nia Coffee still. Mm-hmm. And as much as I really like Nas Hillman, like, they just, it is very tough if they're playing the four right now. Especially, like, okay, if they really are flowing and playing with pace in the half court, I think they can make it work. But they just haven't been doing that. So I'm not very confident in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because at least against Connecticut, I feel like the stuff to get going with Cheyenne is there with... Dallas just is not. It just isn't. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's fair. Steve, uh, is this just cult for Atlanta? Or do you see a, a template for them to follow here? I see a path for both. One, number one, I needed this series. I needed you two to face off in the playoffs. <laughs> I need answers, and someone's going to give it to me. All these questions about both these teams that we've had over the last two years, we get a winner. I'll take that. To bounce off y'all's point, as far as Atlanta goes offensively and Dallas goes offensively, question marks for both, sure. I think there's more of a certainty with what Dallas can and will get to, both in transition and the half court versus Atlanta. I think yeah, there are buttons that, 
I think there are buttons that the dream can hit, but will they hit them is the biggest question. Who's going to be the, the ball handler in pick and roll? How are you going to operate? What tempo are you going to play with? What's the movement going to look like behind it? If you are coming down, running one action, trying to set something up, taking time in between, you're letting the wings stay tight. You're taking pressure off the wings. And I think tempo to me is the number one thing. Like the wings can play super fast. We've seen it. We've seen it be a plus. We've seen it be a negative. They can also play slower if they want to. They're at their best when they mix the two up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If it's pure up and down, that could favor the dream if they take the right shots, if they execute behind it. Because mm-hmm. if they're going 99 miles an hour and you're also going 99 miles an hour, you're taking quick shots. What have you accomplished? You put no pressure back on them. Mm-hmm. They can now toggle the half court button if they want to. You, on the other hand, could. But do you trust it? What are your pillars? What are your actions? How are you getting Gray and Howard open? Is it in pick and roll or is it, hey, make something happen? The Cheyenne point is important because I think that trio was the vision of, hey, we can execute in the half court. We have three great players. The wings have size. The wings have length. The wings protect the paint. I think what? Cheyenne had 13 points on 12 shots in, in their last game. I think the last time they played before that in June, it was 15 points on 13 shots. So that's not as leanable as it has been. Mm-hmm. With the wings, you got Arike, who can be a pressure point. On ball, off ball, you got Satu, who can be a pressure point. You can move the ball side to side. The high-low potential with Natasha Howard and Tierra McCowan or Kalani, there's a lot there they can go to. So even if it's struggling, they have a base they can lean on. Mm-hmm. With the dream, my concern is, if it's not X, where is Y? Yeah, it could get it can get tough pretty quickly. And just quickly on the Dallas note, like both of you've already alluded to the size advantage that Dallas has, crushed on the offensive glass, the post ups in particular. And just the way that even without great shooting talent overall on this Dallas roster, the way that they're able to manipulate spacing and time some of their cuts and time some of their lifts on these post ups, I think it makes it even more difficult for Atlanta to load up help on some of those, even if they want to. That's something that's kind of popped on film for me going back through some of their regular season matchups. So, yeah, you frame it like that, Steve. Like the dream just have more buttons that are the wings have more buttons they can press that you can just kind of count on them hitting versus. The dream, it uh, kind of stinks for Atlanta, but this is a less than ideal matchup for them. This is going to be a good test for them. I mean, this is this is what you have to go through on your way up, especially in this league in the W. It's going to be tough. You have to open up things for your top two players, and this is where you wish the base was a little bit stronger, at least for me, movement-wise, pick-and-roll-wise, action-wise for those two, because now, hey, we can move them around. We know what we're going to get out of it. Eventually, someone has to guard them. If you're hunting for what you want to do against this Dallas Wings team, you're putting yourself in a tough spot because they're going to protect the paint, and they're going to have activity on the perimeter. You can say what you want about their defense. That's kind of the base. And so if you're struggling out there, you can't get it in there in the paint. Now, what have you created? So it's more what can the dream create offensively and can they take enough away defensively to really make this tough? 
And they could. Like, I, we've seen the dream battle. We've seen it work. We just haven't seen the consistency. So does the fact that it's the playoffs elevate their game? Do we see a new dream? Possible. But if you ask me, the Wings know who they are. Yeah. Like it or don't, they know who they are. They play the way they play. And that's just kind of that. I, I, can the dream take enough pieces off the chessboard is my question. Yeah, that, uh, Atlanta, that's tough. This, this is why the games are played. But yeah, structurally, it just feels like a really tough matchup. Uh, Mark, I don't want to cut you off prematurely. Did you have any closing dream, uh, dream wings questions, thoughts, scheme things you're looking forward to? No, I, I think the one thing that will be really interesting, especially in the half court, um, is how they defend the high lows and, and the way that Dallas gets the ball in the post. Um, because that has been a big problem for them, um, especially as a team that's generally playing smaller against the bigger team. They're going to have to work in, okay, fronting or digging and stunting at the right time and pressuring the ball heavily. Some of the teams you right talked about it after the game yesterday. So I will be curious to see what that looks like. All right, then let's move to Liberty Mystics, the other side of the bracket. Season series tied at 2-2. Two two. Uh, the Mystics got the opening the season opener win, uh, 80-64. The Liberty won two straight from there, an 89-88 victory uh, late June, and then a 96-87 victory in late July. And then yesterday, we got the Brittany Sykes game winner over Brianna Stewart, a 90-88 win for Washington. Steve, um, Mr. Liberty, how concerned are you about this matchup for the Liberty? Would you call me? Uh, <laughs> hey Mark, when we did when we did Aces Sky, did I call him Mr. Aces? <laughs> no. Yeah, you see the level of respect I get. Anyways. Uh, I see. My apologies, It's friend. it's a very my apologies. Tuh. I think it's a very difficult matchup for the Liberty. I've been talking about the Mystics and their potential to crash the party all year long. I know some people look at me sideways. This is where it gets tricky for the Liberty because of the Mystics base defensively. Having to deal with Cloud, Sykes, and Atkins, and the way that they can fly around is going to make things tough. If you built the boat around movement, that's fantastic. But what do you do when that movement's not there? The activity on ball, the drives aren't the same. The drive and kick isn't the same. Maybe Stewie's not hitting shots. They're going to have to dig deep and find a way to trust what they've built and also balance the talent that they have to open up looks. The Mystics have the personnel to switch against Stewie. I don't know how much you want to do it, but they could in theory. Mm-hmm. They can double John Quill in the post. They can keep the ball in front. So this is where it gets dangerous because the Mystics, am I wrong to say they have nothing to lose? I don't think you're wrong. No, you're not wrong. And those three guards, have you seen the look in their eyes when they play the Liberty? Uh, bright-eyed, yeah. Natasha Cloud looks like a different player. Ariel Atkins is very good, but she has a different level of aggression. Brittany Sykes, attacking. Liberty got to defend on the other end. There's only one Benajia. Who do you put her on? Whoever you put her on, how do you get her to help and Stewie to help and John Quill to help? So there's, there's things that are going to test what the Liberty have built so far. Mm-hmm. I think for the Liberty, the most positive sign, especially coming off that game they played yesterday at the end of the season, was the fact that they were right there despite Stewie just not making shots. 
And there's a resilience with this Liberty group that I think is important. That's why the base they built has been important on both ends of the floor where we can trust, we can get the ball moving, we can defend, we seem to keep playing. And so how much does that change the math where if Stewie has a good game, can the Mystics handle that? I think John Quell is going to be super important in this series to combat some of the activity from the Mystics and the switches they may throw out. If she's able to do that, and now you can give it to John Quell, you can give it to Benajah in the post and run some things off that. There are ways to kind of mitigate the Mystics' defensive impact, but this is, this is not going to be an easy series for Liberty. Mm. I want to make sure that is crystal, crystal, crystal clear. The Mystics present a tough challenge. Okay, Mark, where are you at on just how dangerous a veteran this can be for the Liberty? Uh, I don't want to do the annoying thing and say it's, you know, a lot just depends on Elena's health, but I do think that's a really big aspect because I just don't trust their offense enough without her being in every single game. Um, But I I mean, I agree with Steve, especially with the guard play. I think this is the, it's so interesting because this team just with what they have in the three guards who can all kind of get downhill in, in different ways and, and be aggressive I think in some ways that like, even though this team has been so difficult to watch at times on offense with, with Washington, like they are the kind of team that can present problems for the Liberty and have this year. Um, I will, it's just, it will be courtesy. I think a lot of this to me is like Steve just mentioned with John Quell. I think what she brings in the paint as a defensive player is going to be huge. And what she brings on the other end will be huge as well. Because I think you can't really turn – they have to be good at not turning the ball over against this team because I think when you're able to let them get out and run um, and not even just like score off of it, but get into some early offense stuff without your defense being set, I think that's painful. Um, and then when you can't punish them on the interior, because I think even with uh, – like as good as their defense can be, I think they're – Washington's best defense is what they can do guarding guards and like, you know, stopping team actions rather than defending post-ups. And I think when you get JJ going where she's making the right read, she's, you know, just picking apart what a defense is doing. And we've seen her do that at times this year. I think that is, if they can do that, I just don't really know what Washington does off of that, considering how well they're going to shoot and move out of it. So, um, could be a really big series for Queen Agbo, but I think especially Tiana Hawkins. I'm interested to see like what she can continue to do because she's had just a really fun, very good year for them. They wouldn't be in the playoffs without her, frankly. Um, and she's just, it's always an interesting blend with her. It's like, can can she hit just enough shots to, to warrant not leaving her open? We know what she's going to bring defensively, offensively. If she gets an opportunity on a mismatch or an opportunity to duck in and cut, like she's going to be so good at that. I just wonder if there's going to be enough pockets to really attack with that. So um, it will be interesting. I think I'm, I'm with Steve. I think it'll be a really fun first test for the Liberty. I got you. And kind of like a really nice little revenge piece off of how the first game of the season went to potentially. Yeah, a lot, a lot of some some rivalry building adjacent things in this one which how some of these matchups have gone. Um, just some quick numbers, and then I want to uh, address a couple of points. Just on the statistical front, because Mark, you alluded to earlier, kind of lost in what the Aces have done this year. Like, this has been a historic year for the, for the Liberty as well. Uh, 109.6 offensive rating, second in the league this year, but assisted on 75% of their baskets this year, which is a W record. 
is insane uh, to the three-point shooting, uh, most makes per game and most attempts per game in league history this year, in addition to leading the W in three-point percentage. Uh, but against the Mystics, offensive rating drops from 109 to 100 flat uh, in those four matchups. Um, the assist rate goes from 75 to 67.8, which is a pretty big drop, and to the turnover point, uh, 17.5 turnover rate overall in the regular season. That is at 20.5 during the regular season meeting. So the Mystics have been able to defend this Liberty group pretty well. But to bounce off of an early point from you, Mark, like I, I think this is very much a John Quayle series. Like I think the Liberty are going to have to establish John Quayle early, especially with Shakira Austin's health with the hip being in question right now. Like I think it's, it's kind of just looked like it's going to be Tiana and Queen Ekva. I would be surprised if we see Shakira in the first round. And so I think if you're able to establish John Quayle early, if you're able to get either of those bigs in foul trouble, like that hurts the depth. But on top of that, that feels like the place because you mentioned the switching and how comfortable they are against the Liberty's personnel doing that. That feels like the one place they shouldn't be able to switch as easily. And that may be where the help comes from initially. And if they're able to find their ball movement and kind of build it from there, that may be how the, the Liberty are able to get to some quality looks. And if it becomes a scoring exhibition, I don't know how I feel about the Mystics offense in a playoff setting still. And so that's, that's generally where I am. Um, the Benajah comment sparked me, though. Where, where would you place Benajah in this matchup, Steve? Uh, Sykes or Cloud. Okay. You have to take one of them away. That's not just about the aerial. But I think with some of the movement or the spacing with aerial, you could probably get away with player X or player Y, depending on how you feel about it defensively. Mm-hmm. I think you need Benajia to be able to, to take the penetration away from one of them and be able to navigate screens. So I do think pick and roll coverage is going to be interesting. Liberty have shown different things, but with EDD, how much can you show in that matchup? And what will they go to? I will say, if you go back to how the Liberty guarded the Aces earlier in the season, if you recall, drive. Hey, look, there's a person right there. There's a person right there. You must kick the ball. If they tap that button, does that change a lot? And now it goes back to the Mystics offense question mark that I think a lot of people have. And so it's a weird thing where the Mystics present a very unique challenge. The Liberty have answers for them. I think we can all agree. Can they hit them? Will they hit them? Because again, all it takes is one game. I guess I'll ask this question. If there's one team you would trust to get a road win, in these first two games, <laughs> who is it? Yeah, it's probably the Mystics. It, it feels pretty firmly the Mystics, honestly. That, and that's, that's where the difficulty becomes. Like, if this is a five-game series, I think our conversation is a little bit different right now. Mm-hmm. In all honesty. There's more wiggle mm-hmm. room. You got time to figure it out. If the Mystics come with their 10 out of 10 defense, and all they need is... Brittany Sykes hits threes. Natasha Cloud drives 18 million times. Ariel Atkins hits threes. EDD goes off. They just need one of those <laughs> to flip the offense. That's where it's like, oh, this could get tricky. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, the Liberty. Hey, here's Stewie. Oh. <laughs> Sneakily enough, uh, Stewie against the Mystics. I, I, I thought you were going to bring that up. Okay. Uh, I, I was literally going to bring it up when you finished. Yeah, you, there you it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I knew again, it was only, coming. Only a four-game sample, so, you know, duh. But uh, 15.8 points, under 33% from the field, 14% from three on five attempts. Has not been the easiest of times for Brianna Stewart in the regular season matchup. 
Yeah, go ahead. There you go for the not my MVP folks. Uh, how important is Sabrina's drives in this series to y'all? Uh, I think they will be important, especially against this group of guard defenders. I don't think the drives are going to be as important as the shot, naturally. I think they're going to have to they really have to dig into the bag to open up the offense and get uh, Washington's defense in rotation. But I think the drives can hit, and it's encouraging that she's been a much better driver. I'll say post All Star break because it's true, but like especially over the last month, right before she had the I think the hamstring injury. It's important that that is perked up to that degree, and has been has been a pretty efficient counter for her. In addition to all of the ways that she can get to the shot, uh, so I say pretty important, but it's still like second beyond. She has to shoot well in this one. This can't be the we were talking about her shooting earlier. Like again, players to take six threes a game and shoot forty percent is a very short list. And she has the highest percentage of that. Like we are, we have witnessed the greatest high volume three point shooting in W history this year. This can't be the series where she only shoots 38% from three with everything else Washington can do defensively. Uh, Mark, what say you? No, I think uh, it's a good way. It's a good question. I think it's less about the scoring off drives for me. And I think it's more the confidence, not that she's not confident off drives, but I think like, um, like we just talk about with the motion in general for this team, I, I feel pretty confident about them getting things going in motion in general. And like, okay, as long as there's no hesitation or anything getting killed, being able to keep the ball moving no matter what is so big for them. Um, I feel pretty good about that with her. And to go back to Steve's point about Benajah, I think I will put Benajah on Sykes. Um, because for me, at least, I feel like this is a series where you just kind of have to trust your ball screen coverage and JJ being at the rim uh, against cloud for me, because as much as she's been very good against the Liberty, I think that's the point that I live with. I'm like, okay, we're just going to stay home on everything. We're going to go under on your screens, know that you're going to rescreen and flip screens and and do whatever you can to get cloud downhill anyways. And we're just going to be, Annoying because we'd prefer to let somebody who we know has some questions around the rim, you know, dive in and see what happens. And I know you like you obviously you don't want to open that up. But I think for me, I do not want to put anybody else on this team on Brittany Sykes because she's the one to me who I like she's making the plays that I think have the biggest impact that out of the guard. Like, obviously, Ariel is so good as as a pull-up shooter and so you can create off like second side and stuff. But when Sykes gets downhill, it just, it's a different kind of impact than when Cloud gets downhill right now. I was about to say it hashtag hits different. Yeah. Oh, I'm just ready to dig into that series. Honestly, uh, we will close this out with the sun and the links, the sun winning the regular season series three to one uh, with Minnesota's lone victory coming late. Uh, in July, July 30th, an 87-83 victory. They played again two days later, and the Sun were able to win by 10 in that one. Uh, Mark, I will start with you. What matchup are you most looking forward to in this one? Like It, it has to be AT and Fee defending each other, no? No, I think the matchup that I'm most excited for is actually not a matchup at all, which is, I think, why this is so enticing to me, because um, this is a really tough matchup for the Sun for me. Because I think I would not that I I still would say that I'm picking the Sun because I think they're more talented. This team does not run a lot of a lot of like traditional ball screens, pick and roll offense, which is I 
what I would say the Sun are at the best defending against. Mm-hmm. They're at the best defending against teams that can really spread out, that are, um, you know, that can maybe struggle a little bit with putting two on the ball and having selective pressure. That's not the 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 links. The links really thrive by what they do with like big to big passing and doing some mismatch hunting uh, with their front court um, and then trying to play out of there. I think what has me feel good, a little bit better about this for the sun. And maybe I'm wrong in this, but my inclination is that Stephanie white is really going to throw the kitchen sink at the playoffs. They've been willing to test out new things, especially as the second half of the year has gone on on the defensive side of the ball. And I think they're really going to do that in the playoffs because with this Lynx team, my biggest thing is just they do not have the shooting to make me worry about anything, to be honest. Like Rachel Bantam, very good shooter. Kayla McBride, very good shooter. Outside those two, they have nobody that I'm really that worried about from the outside. Like, obviously, you don't really want to leave Fee wide open, but I think when you're factoring in, like, I would rather see Fee spotted up above the breaker, the slot, than from the mid post, just based mm-hmm. on what our defense is going to look like. Um, I think the Sun are going to have to do, like, everything under the sun to try and deny the ball into the post because that's just been their biggest issue because that matchup that uh, the Lynx won, it was, okay, we're trapping Lindsey Allen. Oh, shoot, they're moving the ball. Oh shoot, we're we're rotating off that, but they're moving the ball too fast for us, and then we have nothing on the back line, and you guys are too big. Um, it helps. So I mean, it sucks that Jessica Shepard is out still, but I think I would actually maybe opt towards picking the links if Jessica Shepard were healthy for the series, just because she's so good at like. Uh, maybe not picking links, but I would, it, it would be like darn near 50 50 for me with that because she is like good enough as a post scorer to put the ball in the deck a little bit and is so good at like hubbing the ball with how this team cuts too that I think that would be really tough for the Sun to deal with. But overall, it's yeah, I mean, it still just comes down to the front court stuff for me. Like, what can they do to try and mitigate all of the the links is spacing, especially on the interior, and try and uh, make it a little bit muddier for them. I got you. I'll go very quickly before I toss this to Steve. Like I was intrigued by this. I'm also I also would just probably pick Connecticut in this one. But like I was just kind of intrigued by going back through and seeing how did they defend Fee, and more specifically, like how did they defend Fee and Kayla McBride when used together. Because like the fun I have with watching this Minnesota group is just how many weird combinations they go to. And I say weird, like endearingly, it's not non-traditional is actually what I'm looking for there. And just say, OK, how often can they move AT around? That also brought me back to an earlier conversation that we've had on the pod where it's like, hey, is it better to engage AT and then play behind whoever's behind AT? Or do you want to move AT elsewhere and then try to go four on four somewhere? And I think this could be an interesting series to borrow Steve's phrase, like a template series to see uh, how does Minnesota want to attack? And what do they want to do in regards to AT and, where, and how much how involved they want her to be defensively in this one? Because um, they again only two games for fee in the regular season series, which stinks. One, because you want players to be healthy Two, as trying to like prep for this. Like, crap, I only have this sample to work with here. But it's worth knowing I think it was a very efficient 51 points across two games for fee in the two games that she played. 
And so if they're able to hit the right notes with her, if they're just inverting stuff to Mark's point to get her in the mid post, if they're able to draw help from there, I do think that's kind of where the shooting kicks in. And that's also why I can't go to full blown upset alert. But like, I think they can do enough weird stuff offensively to get Connecticut on their heels. And on the other end, frankly, like I don't think this is a good Minnesota defense, but with some of the ceiling questions that I have about Connecticut in the half court and just how many things the links are willing to throw out there. Like this feels like a very close, like two game series for Connecticut. And if you get the good shooting game from Minnesota, it's a three game series that again, I would probably still pick Connecticut in, but I, I am a little bit intrigued with this one. Uh, Steve, where did your eyes go with this matchup? Whole lot of places. Number one, just to bounce on what you said, what does Minnesota want to do defensively? Do they want to show switches and double against AT? Do they want to go under against the Suns guards? The one thing I noticed is when they did that, Connecticut was like, sweet, rescreen, now we can play. <sighs> How do you stay at home and not open things up? Mm-hmm. I think there's a way that they can bottle the Connecticut offense up. They've got to make sure they keep the guards out of the paint. They've got to try and make sure it's not just automatic reads for those guards. So if you're going to drop back or give them the rescreen, they're going to know exactly what to do. They'll play out of it. Connecticut's too good with what they want to do offensively. But can you put and mix in size on Melissa Thomas and stay at home and say, hey, you got to score? Is that something we see? Mm -hmm. Can we now help off our guards if we need to, if it starts cooking? Can they balance it out defensively in a playoff setting? I think offensively for Minnesota, can you hit the Dewan and Bonner button? You have some size in your lineups. Can you now make that a pressure point to where, hey, high, low, we're going to go seal. We're going to put pressure on you. We're going to try and get you in foul trouble, make you guys do something different. Are there things they can do to move Connecticut out of their comfort zone? That's going to be the key for me for Minnesota. If we're going straight base for base, it's going to be tough for Minnesota. How are you going to generate offense? Who's going to get the looks for you? You're going to need Caleb McBride to hit shots. You're going to need Diamond Miller to drive. You're going to need Fee to be Fee. But you have the offensive talent. Can you open it up enough? And then defensively, can you bother this son? If Connecticut's guards don't show up, how confident are we in their offense? Confidence wanes a little bit if the guards don't show up. So the, I've been my pretty consistent is, of- if I'm Minnesota, I'm thinking we got to put the pressure on them. Those are the folks that got to beat us. Mm-hmm. AT is going to be AT, but we can't let AT be AT and also create and also we can't score. Something's got to come off the table. So that's that's kind of my read on that series so far where I could kind of see how Minnesota could muck it up. But if it's just purely mud, Connecticut's fine rolling around in it. Got you. Uh, are we excited you for just call uh, them? Go ahead. No, just called them like the Minnesota pigs rolling around in the mud. Oh, <laughs> gosh, darn it. <laughs> you have to get one on the pod. Jeez. Uh, kind of excited for Diamond Miller and Dewana Bonner uh, in the same playoff series, just so we can see this 87 step throughs. That, that's going to be cool. Uh, what are your expectations for Diamond in her first playoff series? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think it'll be really interesting just to see how she, I mean, I don't know if I, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Cause like part of what I've liked so much about Diamond this year is that she is willing to do whatever, regardless of mistakes. 
Uh, and I think some people hear that and associate that with negativity. But for me, especially with a rookie and arguably the hardest professional sports league to make, seeing somebody who's willing to make mistakes is incredibly refreshing. Um, like it can be ugly at times, but like when it hits, man. So I think for me, I am interested to see how she kind of composes herself in a playoff series. Um, because like it, that that's part of the difficulty of a playoff series, right? Because like, I think, yes, you want to, um, you want to play like it's okay to make mistakes, but also it's the playoffs. So it's a little bit different in that regard. And I do wonder if that maybe changes the calculus a little bit. Um, but regardless, I'm just excited to see her in the playoffs because she's somebody who always is playing with like 110% intensity. Um, I really have enjoyed her defense this year. Well, noting obviously through the rookie lens, but um, like, I don't know, like seeing a player who is 21, 22, that's going to go back and forth on the final game of the regular season. Well, not second to last game of the regular season, drawing with Kalia Copper, like, that's really fun. I like that. I want to see that in the playoffs. So I don't know if I have like any huge expectations for her. I think I'm just um, really interested to see how she handles it and how Cheryl kind of um, what kind of leeway she gives her rookies in this this series. Got you. Like I mostly like I am just generally interested in seeing how that's going to go. But I also ask because it's based off what you just said. Like she just kind of has the composition of a rookie that would just do well in her first playoff series compared to some other ones. That's not shade to anyone else. But like, she just feels like, as cliche as it sounds, she just feels like a gamer and this kind of thing. Like the high pressure is more within her wheelhouse, it feels like. And so like, I'm just not surprised at all if we get game one, it's like 19 for Diamond Miller and 12 coming to fourth or something crazy because she's a bunch of drives and mix in a timely three or something. Like she just feels like the type of rookie that can make that kind of early impact. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. what are your Diamond Miller thoughts? And then we can get out of here. The drives are important. If, if she can drive and create pressure and not only score baskets, draw fouls, force help, that opens things up. If her drives are going to be contested and they're going to be tough, I think it limits some of the ceiling what the Lynx can do. Oh, there we go. Uh, I lied. I do have one more question. Mark. What that boy's a on- liar. <laughs> Mark, what have you Where can we find your work? Your- uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Beat me to it. Wait, that's your that that was actually your question. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the oh oh my bad. Oh, sorry. I thought I was like waiting for you to ask me something about a Dinwiddie lob. It's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, Um, Dinwiddie lob. Jesus. Um, Yes, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. I have a podcast called They've Got Now, covering all things women's basketball. I just had Wings Forward Satu Sabli on. Also wrote a feature on her. Uh, so I recommend checking both those out because she was great. Well, there we go. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Steve. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Dunker Spot. If you have not already, please subscribe to us. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can follow me on Twitter at NakiasNBA. You can follow Steve on Twitter at SteveJones20. Join the Dunker Spot community on Twitter. We're having some fun discussions in there or just sharing tweets that we don't want to talk through on the timeline. Join us for our online Dunker Spot watch parties. We will be completely locked in for these playoff games. All of them playoff start Wednesday night. So come rock with us. Uh, The link to the room should be hyperlinked in your podcast description. If so, just click on that link into your information. It is free. No shenanigans. 
If it's not hyperlinked, just copy and paste the link into your browser. Once again, it is free with no shenanigans. And with that, we will catch y'all later in the week. Bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Dunker Spot ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in, in the plumber 27 days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.